This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. I'm a professor of management here at the Wharton School. And I'm adjunct faculty at the Wharton School and a partner at Ogletree Deacons in Philadelphia. We are breaking news uh, this uh, this show. I feel like we ought to have one of those CNN things or something like that uh, because we just had a report uh, out from Payscale. We got another one we're going to talk about right now uh, from LinkedIn, which came out, I hope, just in the last couple of days or so. LinkedIn uh, has been collecting data like this for quite a while, and they've got the opportunity, since they know where everybody lives, Mm -hmm. uh, to contact uh, everybody, and they've been hitting recruiters up to pick up information about what they think is changing in the workplace. Now, one of the problems, of course, is that year by year, things don't always change all that much. Um, And so you probably need to look back a little bit more to see what's kind of different. One of the things I wanted to have a look at, uh, Dan, and ask you about, which came out of the previous uh, conversation with Lydia about something Payscale found, was this rise of unlimited paid time off, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which sounds like a great thing. Uh, So now about 10% of employers in the U.S. say they've got unlimited paid time off. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I don't particularly like it in most situations. I think you've said, you heard CFOs like it because then they don't have to account for (laughs) unused PTO on the books. Right. It's not an accrued cost, right? I I don't like it because then managing it is one more thing that a manager has to do. Now, there's some situations where people are paid on their production. They're measured production, easily measured production. In that case, they want to take the summer off, take it easy. As long as no deadlines are missed, et cetera, let them do it. They just Mm -hmm. get paid less. You Mm -hmm. know, after a while, if it gets extreme, you say, listen, do you want to work here or not? So it's more practical in that setting. But where you've got 10 people lined up doing the same job and are important to work at the same place, um, I have to think there's going to be resentment by the people who are Mm -hmm. willing to stick to two or three weeks a year of the people who take six or seven weeks a year. And um, I think it would be the same. The people taking six or seven weeks a year are probably sort of checked out of their job, don't really care about it when they're there. So it just exacerbates a bad situation Mm -hmm. and forces the manager to spend more time Mm -hmm. on a difficult situation. We may come back to this when we uh, have our last half hour uh, to talk about things in general. But here's, as I recall, the uh, evidence about these programs that when you put them in place, people actually on average take less time off, Mm -hmm. right? which is one of the things about them that's a little invidious. Uh, So we'll come back and talk about that in a little bit. But let's see if we can talk about some of the other things that are happening, things new in the workplace. And the LinkedIn folks, as I say, have been scouring uh, their own databases and sending out surveys, in this case, to 7,000 people who do hiring and manage talent. And with us to talk a little bit about what they found is Mark Labosco, who's the vice president of talent solutions at LinkedIn. Uh, Mark, welcome back. This is you're a frequent flyer here now. Yes. Uh, hey, Peter and Dan. Good, good to uh, connect with you guys. Uh, very happy to join you. Mark, where are you at the moment? Someplace sunny and warm, I hope. Sunny and uh, warm. Uh, warm. Warmish. Is <laughs> <It's> warmish. <laughs> 
warm is relative. I think it depends yeah. upon you know where where uh, we're comparing against. But yeah, yeah. In San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. Sun is shining after a whole lot of rain. Yeah. Uh, so, Mark, before we get into the data, can you just remind us how many people are participants in LinkedIn? How many different? How many people have unique profiles on LinkedIn? Yeah. So we have over six hundred million uh, professionals that are on LinkedIn today. Six hundred million. That's a big, big number. Uh, and just one quirky one, if you if you don't mind some quirky questions about this. Do you find that uh, people have more than one profile on LinkedIn? Does that ever happen? Uh, it, it does happen. Uh, we <laughs> oh, do not uh, try to let that happen. So yeah, it's not a good thing. We have lots of process and systems to uh, find and, and delete duplicate profiles. Yeah. But I'm sure there are folks there who have mistakenly created multiple profiles. Maybe they created one, forgot about it, and then created yeah. one later on. Yeah, or created one for their spouse and one for everybody else or something. <laughs> That's, like that. right. That's, That's right. right. I, think my, I think my dad may have two profiles. Um, <laughs> right. He doesn't know how to log into either one of them. Right. There you go. So this survey you did uh, asking about uh, top trends, what, what did you think you were going to find when you went into it? I mean, why did you do it? You do this yeah, I mean, periodically, but what were you looking for this time, do you think? Yeah, I mean, e- each year we, we run a, a similar kind of survey with, you know, thousands of uh, talent professionals and job seekers to understand what trends are happening uh, in the workforce. And uh, depending upon kind of the year, we, we have an early read on what, what's happening already based upon information people are reading on LinkedIn, information people are sharing on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so we already have a pretty good read on, on what are the trends that mm-hmm. are happening with the industry. Mm-hmm. And then we leverage kind of a really large internal research group we have to then run a survey against a uh, sampling of, uh, of of audience to better understand what are some of the new trends uh-huh. that are happening yeah. uh, on a year-over-year basis. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we key on some new conversations that are happening. You know, okay. in years past, we've seen, you know, we got ahead of the, the trend around things like uh, AI. And this year, you know, the trends were more around things like soft skills, mm-hmm. uh, work flexibility, uh, mm-hmm. anti-harassment practices, yep. Let's... and pay transparency. And so you can imagine something like anti-harassment practices and that being a trend based upon things like, uh, you know, the Me Too movement. Yep. So we're going to talk about those. Before I do that, though, hey, did you see my post I just posted an hour ago? You probably don't read the whole thing, but I have... I spent every day all day reading <laughs> right. looking for your post. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? Well, it just so happens, Dan, I have an article in the Wall Street Journal that just came out about two hours ago, and I immediately... Okay. Immediately, of course, went to LinkedIn and posted sure. it there as well. Like an op-ed type thing? Or? Yes, I do. There you go. What's it about? Uh, hiring, Dan. So okay, we'll cool. talk more about that okay. in a little bit. So back to Mark, the important stuff here. Let's start with uh, what you've been learning about uh, harassment prevention. So what's interesting about these results, or these are not you know, just people's opinions. You're asking people who are uh, doing hiring and people who are doing talent. So these are people who are talking about their own company's practices. So when they say that they are doing more to prevent harassment, what sorts of things are they doing? Yeah, well, so so first off, you know, on on the harassment front, uh, you know, it is one of the four major trends that we saw um, in the the research. So we saw a 71% increase year over year of uh, Mm. of workplace harassment content being shared on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, Mm. But as I mentioned, that was like the first kind of signal that we saw that this was a a trend that was happening. Yeah, so just stop you on that. So that means when you looked at your own users, there's just a spike in interest on this. People are really concerned uh, about it, right? That's right. Okay. And and then when you turn to the survey, what kinds of things did you find from the survey? 
Yeah, so uh, so what we saw was a, a couple of things. Um, you know, the two most common tactics that we're seeing with companies that are trying to take action here are really about make sure you're doing what you should already be doing, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. So 30%, uh, 37, I think 38% of folks have flagged, you know, the number one thing they're doing is highlight existing policies. Okay. Yep. And then the next kind of largest trend was around uh, making sure there was clear ways to uh, to safely report uh, whether there was a harassment issue or not. Okay, so the so the big change, if there's a change here, is more uh, channels for reporting, or do you think there's just more um, the existing channels? They're paying more attention to them. Do you get a sense of what's different in terms of reporting? Yeah, it's more the former. So it's more of companies have thought through, uh, you know, some policies and wanting to make sure that those policies are are well communicated internally. Okay. Yeah. But then also ensure that uh, there's a safe environment for uh, employees to be able to report when there actually is an abuse. Okay. Can, so, I, can I just so pause on that and, and uh, get Dan uh, here to chime in? What is a safe practice or a safe channel? What is that? mean? What would be safe in your mind for a channel to report sexual harassment? Well, most companies have written policies where they they tell people, uh, if you believe them subject to harassment or anything similar to it, contact person A or person B, or usually by job title. Okay, but does that, I mean, is HR, your, typically. Yeah, so don't go to, necessarily have to go to your supervisor. Correct. You can go around them, Yeah. right? And go to somebody that you think might not be quite as tied up with what the, the issues are. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Because yeah. uh, often, often the perpetrator is the supervisor. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. There's a problem, yeah. Mark, did you yeah. see anything else on, on uh, anything new? So a lot of it is being clear. Some of it's creating new channels that are that are per, create some more psychological safety, as they say. Do you get a sense that companies are getting tougher in terms of the execution of their policies or the discipline or stuff like that? Not not as much on on uh, on that point, but but what I what I will share, and so my 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 role here is I'm responsible for our the success of our you know fifty thousand plus customers and all of our client facing teams globally, okay. and so I get a chance to work uh, with lots of our customers on a regular basis. I also lead a large team uh, here within LinkedIn. Uh, the, the one thing that I'll just call out that that I will see uh, that I will say is a trend based upon my conversations, and also as I think about. Uh, uh, environment within LinkedIn and other kind of companies that, that I'm familiar with in the area. Um, the thing that can help the most with creating the right environment uh, for people to feel safe to, to ensure that the right behavior is happening is ensuring senior leaders are creating the right type of environment, that it's inclusive, okay. uh, that leaders are modeling the right behavior. Uh, if I were to say there's one thing, that's probably the, the thing that I'm seeing work most effectively, which okay. is senior leaders walk in the walk. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, let's turn to another one and uh, another theme that you're seeing, and this is pay transparency. And I think this is one that's really interesting. So, first of all, when we say pay, uh, pay transparency, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so how much, uh, if you are a job candidate uh, looking for a role, uh, whether that be on a job post or whether that be when you're speaking to a hiring manager or a recruiter, okay. having that information uh, be available and transparent okay. uh, before you actually even apply in some cases for a job. Okay, so I know before I apply what this job is going to pay. Does that mean they're not negotiating over pay anymore? 
No, they're still negotiating. That happens. Uh, one, one of the major benefits of uh, pay transparency that, that was cited in the research is it does materially reduce the amount of time and cycles on negotiations. Okay. Uh, because you're, you're at a, uh, a clear starting point uh, once you get to that part of the hiring process. Okay. That is one of the, the key benefits, but okay. I'm sure negotiations are still happening. Now, inside the company itself, is there a move toward pay transparency? So once you're an employee, uh, or is it only once you're applying that we got some transparency? Once you're inside, do you think companies are being more transparent about how much they're paying different uh, for different jobs inside their own company? Yeah, that, that is another trend of, of job uh, information being available to employees. Uh, ah. So a couple of kind of stats to bring that to life. So pay transparency in general, a couple of kind of interesting stats here. So our research revealed that about half of talent professionals okay. agree that pay transparency is extremely important. Hmm. Uh, interestingly, only 27% of talent professionals and hiring managers are actually providing salary ranges. Ah, okay. So the trend is everyone wants to do it, but... <laughs> smaller percentage are actually doing it. Huh. Of that 87% of talent professionals, about 60% are sharing it with employees. Okay. What do you think is going on there? I want to get Dan's view on this in a second. Do you, do you think they're being blocked by somebody who thinks it's a bad idea, like the CFO yeah. or somebody who just doesn't want to yeah. do it? Uh, you know, I, I don't think we asked that question specifically, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe that, you know, it's probably at odds with an existing um, kind of hiring practice or philosophy as it relates to pay yeah. and transparency within a company. Yeah. But my personal opinion, like uh, a lot of things in the world, uh, are going to, this is just a matter of time before everyone needs to be transparent here. Oh, you think so? Uh, Dan, what do you think about pay transparency? I think most employers historically have not wanted it yeah. because as it nets out, yeah, you can have somebody who sees what his or her peers are being paid and said, well, I'm fairly paid or I'm pretty well paid because that, that usually Rarely doesn't happens, happen. Yeah. What they do is they yeah. focus on one person they think is contributing less than they are, yeah. who's paid more, mm-hmm. and they can't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And it, I've seen a lot of people mm-hmm. who had very good tenures going at companies, found out somebody else's income or, or saw the grid of the income. And that was the end of their happy days yeah. at that company. They're gone within nine months. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think if you're going to get uh, pay transparency, you have to have performance transparency, too, uh, th- that says, okay, here's how people are actually doing um, if you're going to show them the pay differences. And that gets a quite tricky thing to do. Yeah. One more, uh, Dan, question here on the law on this, uh, which has changed at least in the last mm-hmm. couple of years or so, if employers say, sorry, we don't have transpa- pay transparency and we uh, don't want you talking about pay, and in fact, uh, we're going to fire you uh, if you start talking about your paid other people, What's what can you do? What's legal now? Um, for about 40 to 50 percent of the workforce, it is illegal to fire employees because they're talking about pay or sharing information about pay. Uh, and that would be those who are deemed to be employees under the National Labor Relations Act. Okay. And this is irrespective of whether they are in a labor union or not. It's just a law that has certain provisions independent of union-related, including people connecting with uh, concerted activity, concerted protected activity. Uh, an employer, for example, uh, if it has any employees under the National Labor Relations Act, which almost all employers do, cannot have a policy barring 
hmm. employees from talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. This uh, Ledbetter Act thing, can you tell us what that is? We hear that. The Lilly is... Ledbetter Act of 2009. Yes. I don't think that has any effect on pay transparency. Oh, it, it had to do with okay. extending statute of limitations. had a few provisions, extending statute of limitations okay. for compensation matters. Okay. Yeah. There was an executive order, I think, that had for certain uh, government contractors that they had to allow greater pay transparency. But I think that's what the current administration is on the shelf, so yeah, to speak. probably right. Uh, folks, just a reminder, we're talking with Mark Labosco, who's the vice president of Talent Solutions at LinkedIn, about a new survey that they have done. Mark, let me see if we can go back to this, to your results on pay transparency. Talking to uh, your clients and the companies that provide the data, why do they say that this is very important? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few different reasons, um, but you know, the a couple primary ones uh, that go into something like this. You know, one of them is that I think there's expectations now with job seekers uh, around having this information available. Oh. And the reason that's the case is uh, digital platforms, LinkedIn being one of them, uh, have now made uh, salary information available to job seekers. Okay, hmm. uh, that's one reason. But but the other is you know, transparency in the workplace is something that. Uh, both em- uh, employees in particular have higher expectations than they've ever had before of their huh. uh, employers. Huh. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the one of the major benefits here that companies are realizing is it uh, materially reduces uh, negotiations. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Expectation setting uh, in that part of the hiring process. Mm-hmm. Uh, employers could drive it to zero, right? They could just say, look, we just don't negotiate over pay. Here's our yeah. pay scale and off we go. Um, and I'm not sure why they don't do that. Uh, I think they started to – and, of course, it used to be that way, right, that there was virtually no negotiation yeah. over pay. Um, and I think they started to do it because they figured that it could work for them, right, which is why they started out asking the question, which now you often can't depending on your location, uh, how much were you paid in your previous job yeah. because they're hoping that lower number is a, is a starting point. Uh, Mark, do you think uh, that some of this um, uh, pay transparency pressure relates to the – um, Me Too and the gender issue, the gender pay issue, that that's part of what's driving this? That is, women feel they're underpaid, certainly some evidence about uh, that, <coughs> and that a lot of it starts with the initial compensation decision, so we want to know this information so we don't get abused by it. You know, uh, I, I don't believe it was that was a specific thing that was cited in our research. But, you know, if you kind of read the, the headlines and news of different companies that have chosen to go down this path, you know, I think Starbucks is an example who has made pay transparency a core principle uh, in the company's efforts to close pay gaps across yeah. gender and race. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, one of, it sounds like, one of the drivers for why they did it. And I think they recently announced they've re- achieved 100% pay equity for really? all genders is performing similar work mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yep. Uh, that's good. And I suspect, actually, although not everybody believes this, but it wouldn't surprise me if most companies that are serious about their human resource practices have very little difference at this point for the same job, men and women. Correct. Uh, particularly for base pay, I think you'd be kind of nuts if you don't, right? Yeah. If you're looking, and you should be looking. Um, yeah. Because the pressure is so on to do something about that, right? Seems, That's right. Seems to be and I remember reading something on that front, too, where, you know, as companies have done research on this often, that when there is still a gap, it's usually because of things like tenure uh, within the company and promotional cycles yep. and or yep. uh, uh, women and now more and more men going off on uh, parental leave yep. as being 
the reasons of why there isn't uh, uh, pay equality. Yeah. Now, one of the things that sounded like your survey turned up on pay transparency is also that uh, companies were being clearer about why there were differences in pay. Um, could you say a little bit more about that, like in their salary ranges or something like that? Are they are they actually telling people, here? here's why we have this range, here's why pay is at this level? Do you see that level of description going on too? We did not get that insight uh, specifically from uh, from the research. Okay. Uh, on, uh, on that specific point. Okay. Well, let's move on to another one then, and this is the idea of work flexibility. And I imagine this is really, when we talk about flexibility, this is talking about schedules, right? Yeah, it's, it's schedules, it's location. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's hours to, to the schedules. Point. Okay. So it, it means a number of different things. I think right. it's another example of you know us starting with Looking at uh, LinkedIn data and kind of the the, uh, the economic graph that we have, which is kind of all of the different components of LinkedIn, and one of those is is jobs, uh, of which we have over 20 million jobs now on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we noticed uh, over the past couple of years, we saw almost an 80% increase in the word workplace or words workplace flexibility mentioned in job posts. Job posts, yeah. Okay. And so mm-hmm. as you think about that, you know, it's a number of different reasons, everything from, uh, you know, uh, tech being the way it is right now with video conferencing, ubiquitous Wi-Fi, yep. messaging, mm-hmm. uh, expectations of employees, uh, you know, certainly an increase in, um, you know, um, uh, women coming back to work after having children. So there's a number of different kind of factors that right. go into play here. Right. Right. But no doubt, this is a trend that we saw both in LinkedIn data as well as in our research. Yeah, and in some ways, this is a real puzzle. And so it sounds like a great thing, right? Um, that you can now work from home. This all started uh, in the 1970s in Los Angeles when smog was a big deal, and there were days when uh, it was not safe to be outside and breathe the air, and companies started allowing people to work from home. So they wouldn't have to commute. Um, And it spread, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly over time. And there's a ton of resistance to it. Here's the thing I find so interesting about this is that um, despite the uh, fact that we're allowing people to work from home more, we're also pushing at the same time, especially with these agile systems, the need to get everybody back together and the importance of integration and... The other thing we're seeing is uh, in society is that we were just talking uh, earlier about this in immigration, these cells, geographic cells, companies all collating together, people wanting to stay in a community because this is where the other companies are. The companies want to be there because this is where the employees are, and yet you could work from a distance, and it's still keeping us together. Um, I guess a long-winded way, Mark, of asking the following question. When you talk to your clients about their willingness to expand flexibility, allowing people particularly to work from a distance, uh, why are they telling you that this is now okay? What are you hearing from them? Uh, well, it depends, I'd say, you know, upon industry, uh, it depends upon company size, and I think it depends upon maturity of the company. Yep. So I wouldn't, you know, it's a one-size-fits-all approach of, you know, how flexible work should fit within your strategy overall as an employer. Yeah. Uh, 
an example, we're seeing a lot more kind of uh, flexible um, work arrangements in the tech industry than we are in other industries. Oh, is that right? Hmm. Yeah. And you so, think that's responding to a tight labor market or that's the nature of the work? Uh, I think it's both. Okay. I think it's both. I think it's also expectations of the employee population. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So some of this is a way of trying to deal with uh, the demands of employees. We were talking with the PayScale folks a little earlier about companies trying to do stuff so they don't have to raise wages and allowing people more flexibility over when they work, you know, is probably something that uh, people want. Here's what I wonder, and, and Mark, you can tell us whether there's anything in the data about this. If you're going to be more flexible about when people work and where they work, you probably have to be better at performance management, right? Yeah. So, you know, the idea that... Uh, we believe you're doing a good job because I can see what you're doing. And, you know, in a lot of companies, there's still a lot of bosses who think that's important, right? You ought to be here. We don't know what yeah. you're doing when you're not home. Uh, you've really got to change your performance management practices and policies to make that happen. And that's a hard thing uh, to do. Are you learning anything about that, Mark, from your clients and people you're surveying? Are they changing their performance practices as well? Or are they just lightening up, you think? Uh, nothing in the research that I recall speaks to with increasing workplace flexibility, there needing to be a shift in performance management. I yep. can share my opinion and then from other conversations on this. That's all we do here. <laughs> we rarely have facts. <laughs> just tell us what you think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's, that's spot on. I think that, you know, if a company, either a company is, has historically had workplace flexibility or they're going through the process of enabling more of it. And if it's the former, then I think it's already tied into the culture. Okay. Yeah. The thing like performance management. Yeah. So this is just extending the run, as it were. Exactly. And where okay. companies are maybe expanding to being more flexible from a workplace perspective, that's a cultural shift. It's a cultural yep. shift for mm -hmm. how your leaders think about yep. expectations of their employees. It's around how to effectively use video conferencing to be able to stay in touch with your team. Yep. So there's a series of consequences, if you will, of mm -hmm. uh, shifting to be more flexible in the workplace yep. that needs to be addressed. And I think performance management would absolutely be near the top of the list. Yeah. You know what I think is so interesting about this is there's such a underlying um, political, maybe you might think, in the, the, the broader sense, difference in how people view this, right? And uh, some people who think you know, letting people work from home is just uh, guaranteeing they're goofing off and watching Gilligan's Island all mm -hmm. the time. And there are other people who believe, yeah, we can trust the employees. And and here's and they don't have to commute, and they can work all that. And time they can work all that time for without us without the distractions yeah. of the office. But here's the uh, interesting little experiments that go on. Do you remember when Yahoo decided to pull people back in? Uh, yeah. To the workplace. Mayor. Yeah. Yeah. And there was an explosion of stories about this, and a lot of them were finally, <laughs> you know, see, finally it doesn't work. Down we're on, cracking yeah. down. It doesn't work. And Yahoo that is showing flexibility, me. liberal stuff. <laughs> there you go. And the same thing with IBM. When IBM decided <clears throat> to pull employees back in, it, IBM was only a very small group of employees who were on agile teams that they wanted to come back in. Mm -hmm. But the headlines were, you know, huge about, yeah. you know, we're recognizing now that this really didn't work. So do you think, Mark, that we're kind of over that uh, now that the, or is this kind of big battle going to just keep going back and forth? 
Yeah, I think to my comment before, like one size doesn't fit all. I think in those cases, like with Yahoo as an example, my understanding is as a part of the strategy around how to get teams to work more closely together. And one of the tactics to do that was to get more people in the office. Yep. Uh, and so I think depending upon size of the company, maturity of the company and where it is in its growth curve, you yep. know, it is great options you have. Uh, but, I mean, the facts, or at least the research, uh, you know, that, that we saw in the data was despite the miss, you know, uh, it shows that uh, flexible uh, work arrangements are better for work-life balance, productivity increases, and turnover is reduced. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a pair of, uh, Jason Phillips, who's the VP of Digital HR and uh, Chief of Staff at Cisco, uh, you know, said flexibility is becoming the norm and companies that can provide it will be in a better position to retain their top people in the coming years. Yeah, I, I think that certainly sounds right. You know, I think the thing that so frustrates people about flexibility is inside the same company, it's often the case that in this office you can do it and the one next door you can't yeah, yeah. because the boss in charge of that doesn't believe in it and the boss and the other one does. And yep. You know, I think uh, dealing with that discontinuity is something companies are going to have to do. Uh, Mark, uh, before we let you go, we want to talk about the last one, which is soft skills. And you're finding that lots of companies are now thinking, boy, that's more important than we thought before. Uh, can you say just a little bit about what you found on that one? Yeah. So for, for soft skills, you know, it was one of the, the major trends uh, that we saw in the in the research. And uh uh, and not, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that hard skills and technical skills are no longer important, but it is increasingly important that um, uh, candidates that companies are looking for also have the soft skills to be able to be successful in their roles. Yep. And the data also showed, you know, as you looked at, you know, um, bad hires, uh, I think it was, I may get the stat wrong, 70 to 80 percent of them are often cited. Uh, of folks that had uh, poor soft skills. Right. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of, um, you know, research being done on how to you get more clinical about being able to assess soft skills. And right. so I think it was 17 or 20 percent of companies were starting to uh, look at AI-based tools, cognitive games mm. to learn more about someone's soft skills. And in addition to that, it's just helping hiring managers and recruiters get really good at things like behavioral questions. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. And people will perform in roles. Yeah. Uh, these are questions like, it, the last time did you, when you had a conflict with somebody, did you punch them out? The appropriate answer is no. Yeah. And no is the no, right answer. No, I clearly did not. <laughs> In case you missed that one, right? Well, Mark, this is all fascinating stuff. And if people want to find it, the report is available on your website, right? That is, yes. Yeah, you can find it uh, at our website. And then uh, we also have a Go link uh, that I can, uh, pardon me, a link here that I can pass along, which is uh, lnkd.in forward slash gtt19. Let's say that again, okay. lnkd.in forward slash gtt19. Yeah, so that's uh, the Global Talent Trends uh, report for this year, 2019, and you can download it online. Mark, thanks very much for being with us. We're going to take a short break, and then Dan and I are going to come back and hash out the tough issues facing the country right now. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.